When I was younger and I used to talk about things, um, older, very well-meaning people would tell me like, you know, when you're young, it's when you're an, an idealist. You know, you have all these ideas of how you think the world should be or how you think the church should be or, um, you know, and you're an idealist because you know what, you haven't really lived. And once you live, you'll become mature and wise like us. You'll become a, a realist. You'll be someone who, you know, realizes why all those things um, that you're thinking don't work. And it's kind of interesting because now I'm the kind of person who used to give me that kind of advice. And I wonder, like, would I tell people that today? Would I tell younger people that it's, you're an idealist, but someday you'll be a realist? And maybe there's certain things in my life that that's true. But when it comes to Christianity, when it comes to the church and what God has called the church to be, if anything, I've become more of an idealist. I've become more of someone who, who, who believes and, and longs and works towards just being all that, that I can be and all that we can be as a church. If anything, it's gotten stronger. It's not gotten weaker. And it's not because I've lived this charmed life where you know, I've always been in you know, these, these churches and going from community to community that's always been great. No. I've, I've got my scars. I mean, I grew up in a pastor's home and, and, and I saw my, you know, what happened to my dad so many times and my mom and I'd be like, man, I wouldn't wish that on anyone. Just the kind of things people said and and the kind of attitudes they had. And it's like, I wouldn't wish that on anyone. I've been in churches myself, big and small. We've been in everything from the big mega church of you know, 20,000 down to just the church of just a dozen. Seen it? Been there. We've done different things where we've labored to, to, to work. And we've seen people at their best and at their worst. And I, if the whole goal is to make me more of a realist, well, uh, life failed. I'm still an idealist. And it's because, not because of me and not because I have sunny uh, optimism. I think people who know me know that I don't just uh, have a, you know, a sunshine pumping machine that I just always, you know, rah, 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 everything's great and rosy. I think people know that I try to look at things in a realistic way. But it's because I so believe that God's word is true. And I so believe that, that even in a sense that in this world that we will, we will never get there fully, that, that we should always be moving there. We should always be coming more and more what, what the Bible describes as what is a healthy church? What is a church that reflects God in this world? And, you know, we've talked about it different ways here and really this definition of a community of disciples. And, and, and I'm so glad to see that in our church that there's a, there's a growing, not just interest, 
But there's a growing involvement in discipleship opportunities at this church. You know, on, we, we do our thing on Monday night, and we do the thing on Wednesday night, and Sunday mornings, and, and other opportunities during the week. People are, are coming, and they want to know, and they don't just want to be told stuff. They don't want to just be told about, you know, what the Bible teaches, but they're learning about how actually to study the Bible for themselves. And if you want to be part of that, by all means, join in. And so that's good. And the, the, the mark of that, though, is it's a disciple, it's a community of disciples. So yes, it's people learning, but it's also a community, and it's a community of love. And it's a community of God's love. And that means that love is, is central to all we do. It's foundational to all we do. But it's also everywhere. And how is love expressed in the community? So many different ways. So many different ways. And we're going to talk about some of that today. But, but one of the things that, that, that shows it is in how we think about each other. Instead of just thinking about how something affects us, we think about how it's affecting others. I've talked about this before, like, you know, you know, show had a new song today. And instead of just thinking, wow, I really like that song, or wow, I didn't really get into that song, the question you might ask is, who was blessed by that? Who did that help? Who did that speak to? And no matter what it is, instead of the, our first reference point being, what did I feel about it? What did I think about it? What did I get out of it? Our question should be, how is this helping others in the church? Because there's going to be some things in the church. There's even going to be some things I say to you this morning that are going to be well below what, what you are ready to hear. You know, so you know. You, I'm telling you basic stuff. But understand, there may be people who need to hear that and need to hear it again. And there may be some things that are like, I don't get it. It's way up there. You know, the uh, guy who came yesterday to talk about genetic entropy. You know, a lot of people got it. Some people didn't. It's okay. And then there's things that just are connecting with you that other people around you have to have some grace for. So our reference point can't simply be, how do I feel about it? What do I think about it? Love is central. And there's a high standard we talk about all the time that it's a perfect love. In fact, if, if you really understand perfect love, you realize that, that, that it's impossible for us to do. And I think when people really hear about perfect love, there's very few people. There's very few people who, who believe in perfect love. Now they believe in it like, oh, God's perfect love, but then they think like, it's not something we can experience in this world, in this earth. 
And the, the few who do believe in perfect love, most of them don't really understand it. And of course, this can cause problems. Because if you think something's not possible, then why try? Why give it a go, as they say in Britain? Why try? It's not possible. If you just think it's something kind of like, kind of abstract or kind of ambiguous or you have a general sense of love as a feeling that a general goodness we should have towards one another, well, you could be sadly mistaken. Because really, it's not anything or it's whatever you want to make it to be. Some people have something like perfect love and they're pretty good at it. It's like it, but it really isn't it. So if we kind of live in this world, and I would even say in this church, of people who have these different opinions about perfect love, you think like, you know, what can we do if that's the standard that we're moving towards? And that's the problem John's confronting 2,000 years ago as he's writing to this church. And it's really important, as we've talked about, there's, there's two things that, that John keeps saying are really important. We, you know, we, we need to believe the right things, and especially the right things about Jesus. But also, we, we need to be experiencing this, this love that can only come from God. Those two things have to, have to be taking place. And it would seem then that we would want to become more knowledgeable and better at knowing who Jesus is and knowing what love is. And so here we are in this situation and John is trying to help us. The Bible, in fact, tells us so much about what this love is like. And in verse 18 of chapter 4, this chapter I'd say should be one of your main chapters that, that you go to and read if you really want to understand what it means to be a Christian, where he talks about love in a different way, but very consistent with what Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 13. But here in verse 18, he says this. He says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has not seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. I'm sorry, whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. So let's back up a little bit. Let's uh, try to remember what, what John is talking about when he's talking about love. That John is presenting love and hate like light and darkness. And if you remember way back when we first started 1 John, one of the first points is this, that there is no safe middle ground between love and hate. 
A lot of Christians think there is. They think there's this middle ground between love and hate. And they like to live there. They like to be there because they like to be able to say, I don't hate them, but I don't love them. I don't wish ill upon them. I don't want them to get hurt. I don't want them to fail, but I don't love them. And we think there's a safe middle ground. John erases it. He says there's love and there's hate. He talks about light and darkness in a similar way where he's saying, you know, when, when light comes, darkness flees. And John, even though he's not the one who says this later on, Augustine will say something about good and evil. And he'll say evil is the absence of, of good. And John might be saying, you know, darkness is the absence of light. And he would also say, hatred is the absence of love. You see, that's a different standard. It's a higher standard. There's no safe middle ground. You cannot say, um, I'm, I'm okay, I'm kind of neutral here. If it's not love, it's hate. So get that first, that that's how John is talking about it. No safe middle ground. And then get what, when we talk about perfect love, when we talk about God's love, his perfect love, yes, we talk about it being sacrificial and unconditional and all of those things, and it is. But the way that I've tried to help you understand the high standard of God's love is this, that, that perfect love means we love everyone perfectly all the time. We love everyone perfectly all the time why it's impossible for us to do. Because so many times we, we cannot do this. We might be able to love one person in a situation, but sometimes in loving one person in a situation, we're hurting other people. And that's kind of you know, the, the best we can do sometimes. But the call is to love everyone perfectly all the time. And if you think about that, then you realize that perfect love can only come from those who are perfect. It cannot come from anyone else. In fact, you have to be perfect in the way God is perfect. Because how can you really love people if you don't know them? So God can love us perfectly because he has all knowledge. And how can you perfectly show that love to people if you don't have the power to do it? Sometimes we, we know what needs to be done in a situation. We know how love could be expressed in a situation, but we don't have the ability to do it. We don't have the opportunity. But if you're, but if you're God, who can, knows all things, has all power, can be in all places, well, he can do it. And so we realize that. If nothing else helps you understand that God's love is an impossible standard for us to meet on our own, I hope that does. And that's why John says 
in the middle of this, verse 20, he says, If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he does not love his brother whom he has seen, whom he has, for, yeah, for he who, he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. You're a liar. Kind of interesting. And remember, the reason he's talking about brothers, and really John's using this in a, a more uh, inclusive way, brothers and sisters, he's talking about people in the church. The reason he's talking about it is because he's saying, this is, the, this is level one. This is the easy part. This should be the easy part. Loving other people who love Jesus. That should be the easy part. And he's saying, get this part right. He's not even taking it to enemies outside. That's going to come later. Again, what makes you think you can love your enemy if you can't love your brother and sister in Christ? So he's starting right here. He's saying, brothers. But he says you're a liar. If you say you love, you, if you say you love God but hate your brother. And keep in mind John's understanding of love and hate. And the question is, what are we lying about? What are we lying about? And I think the thing that we're lying about is, first of all, our love for God. And the second thing that maybe we're not lying about, but we're somewhat confused about, is our faith in Jesus Christ. Because, as we read earlier, and as the Bible says in multiple places, if you have faith in Jesus Christ, you will be made new. You will be born of God. You will be able to love like God loves. So if you really have faith in Jesus Christ, it's there. And if it's there and you still say, I hate my brother, what's going on? You're either lying about what's there or it's not there. This is why it's not a, it's kind of a simple kind of test here. And this is why our churches, and not, I'm not just talking about Wiley, I'm talking about churches in general. It's why we're, we're, we're not more powerful. It's because all of us are piling in to that middle ground we think exists between love and hate. We're all piling in there where where we, we don't hate anybody in the church, usually, once in a while, you know, but not usually. And we just live in the middle. And we think we're safe in the middle. And what we don't realize is that if we'll look to our right, there's no line between where we are and hate. We look to our left. There's the line. The line between us and love. And I'm not going to tell you it's easy. I've told you this before. When a church really starts to 
to love one another the way the Bible says love, to love one another? I'm not going to say it's easy. It's, it's hard. It's weird. Strange. It's awkward. It's scary. It's all of that. It's messy. But it's who we're called to be. Because it's also wonderful. It's also great. And most importantly, it's an incredible, supernatural display of God's presence in this world. It's awesome. The fact that you might think, Pastor, you're being an idealist. Pastor, you're not being practical. This isn't possible. You don't know me. You don't know the other people in this church really well. You don't know how hard they are to really care about. Because if you, if you offer to help them for one thing, they're going to keep asking you. Or they're going to get mad at you for prying into their lives. Or they're going to say this, or they're going to say that. And you know what I say? Awesome. Great you realize it's going to be really hard. So when it happens, when it happens, when God's love just overwhelms this place, you know it's not because of you. And you know it's not because of me. You know it's because God did something in spite of us. He did something in spite of our fears. He did something in, in spite of our, our misgivings, in spite of our prejudices, in spite of our opinions. He overwhelmed it all. And something incredible happens. So when we say we love God, but we hate our brothers, John's pretty clear. It's pretty clear. It's one of the reasons, you know, our churches are always going to be mixed with people of diff at different levels. Different levels of faith, different levels of things going on. You know, there are people who sometimes are just points in their lives where they're more needy than other people. God didn't place them here by accident. He placed needy people in our community because he trusted us with them. If you don't think there's enough needy people in this church, it's because God doesn't trust us. He doesn't think we're going to take care of them. He doesn't think we're going to meet their needs. He thinks we're going to kind of ignore them and walk by them. Now, if some of you say, well, I'll volunteer be, to be the needy person, you know, so you guys can all demonstrate God's love to me. No, that's not how it works, okay? But there are people that are going to be, that are going to have needs. And God places them, places them in our community, not so that they can be perpetually needy, but so that we can help them. And we can help them grow. Ignoring them and pretending they're not there or they don't have needs is not really helping them. It's certainly not loving them. 
the thing that always got me about this text, and I didn't really understand it, is this part where it says, that first part where it says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. And I thought about that. How does, how does that work? And I think one of the ways it works in this context of John is that perfect love casts out fear, that, the fear that God will reject us if we fail. You don't have to be afraid that God will reject you if you fail. If you remember, the sign, one of the key signs that the false teachers were false was because they did not have this God's love controlling their lives. And the evidence of that was because they left. If God's love never fails, why did they leave? Why did they leave the people that they thought were their brothers and sisters in Christ? Why didn't they stay? Why didn't they reconcile? Why didn't they work it out? If everybody else was wrong, why didn't they stay and help them find out what is right? But they left. Because it wasn't perfect love. It was something else. And so... As followers of Christ, if we know God's perfect love in our lives, that helps us know that God also has this perfect love and He will not reject us if, if we fail. As the Bible says in other places, He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. False teachers, they leave. The brothers and sisters who claim to love you leave. But God, He never fails because His love never fails. We don't have to fear. And you know, we talked a little bit about this last week that, you know, and I've talked to people in different situations and, and, and one of the things that I've said is that, you know, in my years of being, you know, married to Cheryl, we've had a few little spats. Okay, we've had some really big fights. And the reason we can have big fights is because neither one of us thinks about leaving the other person. It's just, we can fight, we can disagree. And that's okay. And she can be so mad at me that she won't talk to me for weeks. And that's okay. Because she knows that I'm going to be there. And I think sometimes in the church, we struggle with that because we don't have perfect love and we like to live in that safe middle place. But when you're in the safe middle place and you don't really have love, you're constantly afraid people are going to leave. If I don't do things a certain way, if I don't say certain things, if I don't make sure we, we offer certain programs or, or have certain things going on, people are going to leave. Because it's not a community that's...
child. In a community bound by love, we can, we can disagree and we can have some intense disagreements. But we stay together if it's God's love. There's not that fear. And some people, you know, that, that's a fear because they kind of wish people would leave. That's not God's love either. The, first, the second thing that we see is that this perfect love casts out the fear that our love depends on us. If I haven't made the case already about how impossible it is for us to do it on our own and you still think we can somehow generate this, you, you, you know, I don't know what else to tell you. But when we know perfect love, when we experience it, and we know that it comes from God, and we know it's not something I generate or you generate, that it comes from God, when that happens, I no longer have to think it depends on me. I have to somehow keep generating it. I have to somehow keep you know, hoping you generate it. That God is doing it in us doesn't depend on me. God will accomplish what he said he would accomplish. And he said, we will be bound by his spirit. We can trust him. We don't have to be afraid. And we know that whatever he does will be good and will be holy. We trust his plan is the best plan. But I want you to understand, you know, what God does isn't necessarily what we would do. And one thing God will never do is, is God, he will, he, will, he will never give us happiness at the expense of holiness. He will never give us happiness at the expense of holiness. Some people think that the way God shows love is by, is by blessing us with happiness, by blessing us with, with things, by blessing us with good feelings. That's not necessarily the case. Because a lot of times when that starts to happen in our lives, we start to compromise. Love and holiness, they go together. You cannot have perfect love without holiness. You cannot have holiness if it's not expressed in perfect love. You might go, well, what is holiness? Uh, holiness means a lot of things. It has the main sense of that we've been set apart for God's use. If an implement was considered holy or sacred, you know, if it was a, whatever it was, a knife, you know, it meant that the priest was to use that knife for the sacrifice. The priest wasn't to like, be on some day when nobody's around going, man, I 
got to make my peanut butter sandwich. Oh, I'll go grab that knife over there. You know, the one we use for the sacrifice. No. It was for the sacrifice. It wasn't for your peanut butter sandwich. If we're holy, we've been set apart. But holiness is also that, that we reflect who God is. And we reflect who God is not simply in, in being loving in the sense we think of being loving, but it's in being holy. It's in following his word. It's in understanding, you know, the, the things that he's told us to do in how we relate to one another. And as we love, the more perfect we love God, the more perfect we will love one another. The reason we, we go to love for God, and I love that it says in verse 19 about we love because he first loved us. The whole process is initiated. He loves us. He pours out his love upon us. But we reciprocate because as we know more about God, what should happen is we should love him more. But one of the things the Bible ties together is love for God and love for each other. These are not separate. If one of those goes wrong, the other one is affected because they're connected. You cannot just say, I'm going to get a deeper love for God. If you have a deeper love for God, that doesn't result in a deeper love for your brothers and sisters in Christ, it is not a deeper love for God. It's a deeper love for some other God. Because as you learn more about God and as you have a deeper love for God, the thought is going to be, how do I now love my brothers and sisters more? Works the other way too. You cannot simply say, I'm just going to love my brothers and sisters more. That's the thing that people want to do. It's a great compromise in, in America now. You know, we love part of that Christian message, but we don't like the other parts. And so we think like, well, we can just take the part about love and getting along. And we can leave a, behind that part about Jesus and the cross. No. We're not going to be able to love the way that we need to love to help this world be all that God intended it to be unless we go to the cross, unless we get our relationship with God right first. And that only happens through Jesus Christ. That has to happen first. These two are connected. Remember the Ten Commandments? Two tablets. One tablet relationship to God. Other tablet, relationship to one another. Remember what Jesus said when he was asked, what is the greatest commandment? He said, love the Lord your God with all you are. And he said, the second one is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love for God, love for self. The commandments in the tablets. When you looked at, at the prophets, when the prophets when they, when they prophesied against, against Israel, they prophesied against Judah, it was always two sins. And oftentimes it was the two sins were together. One was idolatry, our relationship to God. The other one was social injustice, our relationship to one another. 
and they went hand in hand. The reason we want to know God more, we want to love him more, is partly because he's poured out his love upon us. But when we do that, we will love one another better. We must trust the perfect love that God places in us and that, he, that the love he places in us is in our brothers and sisters. A lot of us are good with, oh yeah, 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 God is doing his work in me, but we don't believe he's doing a work in anyone else. We don't see the change we think we should see, and so we don't trust you see, the reason I believe God can do an incredible work in, in, among us and make us even more of a community, an even healthier community, is not because I have faith in you. A, you know, no insult intended, okay? But it's because I have faith of the God who is in you. That's why. Because I, I believe that the God who has placed his spirit in me and has placed his spirit in you, that that God is going to be faithful to complete the work in me and in you. And when that work is complete, we're going to be, we're going to be a church like no other. See, this is the basis of Christian community. If I believe God is doing in you the same work that he's doing in me, I don't have to fear. We can base our Christian community not on fear, but truly on love. And our experience of God's love received and God's love expressed that confirms that God is doing what he promised. We talked a little bit about this last week, but one of the evidences that you know, that you know that when you had faith in Jesus Christ, that what Jesus said would happen, happened, is because you felt love that came from God. And a lot of people actually say that. They're, they're overwhelmed. They're even weeping. And other people, it's just over time they sense it. They know because, you know, the guilt is gone. The separation is gone. God always loved you, but now you can feel it. But it's not just love received. It's also love expressed. The evidence John is talking about is, is the love expressed. We express love to one another. And so every time you express love to somebody else in this church... All of us who are aware of it, it confirms what we believe. Every time you see someone else do that, it confirms what you believe. Every time someone loves you with God's unconditional love, it confirms what you believe. Every time I receive unconditional love, it confirms what I believe. You see how that empowers and strengthens the church? But as long as we keep it to ourselves, as long as we try to live in that safe middle ground, there's no power there. No power. 
It's the evidence. Perfect love casts out fear. A community of perfect love, there is no fear, no fear of rejection, no fear of abandonment, no fear of falling apart. We, we, can, we can relate to one another knowing that if we make mistakes, we will be forgiven and we will be loved. It's the healthy church, the church calling us to be. And let's, let's continue to move and be what he's called us to be.